Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly World Cup final evening to you. Goodly World Cup final evening to you too, man. I'm exhausted. Oh, me too. I feel like I played, to be honest. (laughs) I, I, I genuinely, it's hard to know even what to say or where to start. The only thing I would say is, you know, obviously, congratulations to Argentina, Commiserations to France and the idea of being either a France fan or an Argentina fan throughout that game, like it was stressful enough for me and I had literally nothing riding on it. And it was just unbelievable what it must have been like, the twos and fros and the the drama for the fans of France and, and Argentina must have been unbearable, I think. Um, yeah. I think so. I mean, you saw it on the faces of some of the players, didn't you? I mean, Angel Di Maria really went through the ringer on the bench. Um, And I think it was probably reflected in the stands as well. Did you have a dog in the fight at all? Did you have a preference? I I sort of wanted Argentina to win it because Irishman Alexis McAllister was playing for them, you know? I don't know if you've seen this. This has been doing the rounds here that, that basically... Alexis McAllister can trace his family lineage back to a, a an actual house, the the very house in a small town or small town town north of Dublin, called Donabate right by the seaside, and uh, apparently that's where his family comes from. But no, I'm I'm kidding, really. Um, you know, Messi for me is the the greatest player ever to have played, and I think for him, as much as the damage he's done to us down the years. For him, I kind of wanted it to end this way on the international stage. So that was kind of my leaning. And I realize we have many French friends and French fans here. So, um, you know, I'm choosing my words. I think um, both teams contributed to what was an unbelievable game of football. I think probably the best World Cup final ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. But I think I was just slightly leaning towards Argentina for that romantic Messi finally lifting that when when Gianni Infantino deigned to actually give it to him, that was yeah. you know that took a bit of time, but you know he wanted to make sure he kept some of the limelight. But I think for, for that reason, I was I was um, Argentina. What about you? He had his white trainers on with his suit. Disgusting as well, man! All the things he's done and that on top of it, it's just the 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 cherry on the cake. Uh, I was. Yeah, I was team Messi, really. More so than team Argentina. Yeah, I think that's a good distinction to make because there are certain players in the Argentina team that are not particularly easy to like. No. Um, but but team Messi more than team Argentina, I think, is the right one. Yeah, And, and you know, there are lots of reasons. Um, I knew it would upset Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, and, and Piers and, Morgan. And Piers Morgan. 
Mm. I mean, that was quite a compelling uh, argument. But also, I'm, <laughs> a, you know, I think Messi is the best footballer that I've ever seen. Um, certainly in my lifetime, mm. or, or certainly in the time I've been watching football. And I do, I have found it a slightly sort of tiresome argument when people say, well, he hasn't won the World Cup. Um, but it's nice to put that to bed now. My mum did an Instagram story with a picture of Messi and the goat emoji. And so if that doesn't settle the debate, I don't know what will. <laughs> I did exactly the same. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if me and your mum are... If you and my mum are aligned on this, I can't really see any How could, any I, how could anybody against. argue? How could it anybody? is quite a sort of... It's quite rare in sport that somebody achieves something and you go, well, that... That probably makes them the greatest ever. But I think Messi did sort of manage that today. Yeah, because, you know, I can see the other side of the argument. And, you know, I know there are probably some um, people who are fond of Cristiano Ronaldo, who who are Team Ronaldo more than Team Messi. Um, I, I can see the argument that, like, he didn't need the World Cup to, mm-hmm. to sort of copper fasten the idea that this talented man this this unbelievable footballer who we've seen do incredible things for i don't know how long now what is it 17 years whatever it is that his career has been going two decades you know the the amount of goals he scores the kinds of goals he scores the 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 assists the the consistency the the way he makes it look so unbelievably easy so i could see the argument where he doesn't need the World Cup for me or you or your mum to decide that he is he's the greatest, right? No. But at the same time, to have that on your CV, I mean, when when it was 3-2 and he'd scored the goal to make it 3-2, I was thinking, well, there it is. There's the, like, it wasn't a, a classic messy goal by any means. It was a scrappy one, a hint of offside. Nobody quite knew if it was a goal or not for a few seconds. And I was thinking, that's just unbelievable, like to, to be 2-0 up, to get pegged back to 2-2, and then Messi scores the winning goal in injury time in the World Cup. Wow. What an incredible story. Little did we know, of course, that there were some twists and turns along the way. Um, just a bit, yeah. It, 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 is, it is kind of, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a remarkable final. I can't remember many finals like it, and... The other side of this story, I guess, is Kylian Mbappe, yeah. who scored a hat-trick and a penalty in the shootout in a World Cup final and comes away without a medal. I mean, is- yeah. I mean, the, the the pictures of him going up to collect his trophy for the, for the golden ball, and then he had to stand there with three Argentina players to get the pictures taken. I don't know if you saw those. I haven't, no. Right, so they did the, like, they did the... the before the French players went up to get the runners-up medals, um, they did like the various um, individual awards. So the Golden Glove, which Emmy Martinez got and then made a sort of thrusting sex gesture with the glove. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, I've seen that picture. Yeah. On RTE, the commentator said, "Ah, the biggest moment of your life and you've blown it. 
it was like Jesus Christ, man. Do you think do you think he actually cares one bit? Like, do you think this is going to take away your admonition from from Ireland? Is going to take away from the fact that his country has just won the World Cup? I don't think so. Um, and then Messi, I think, won the Player of the Tournament, and um, I can't remember. There, there was another Argentina guy. Maybe he was Man of the Match or something. I don't quite know um, what he was doing up there. Maybe Young Player of the Tournament. Um, and they had Mbappe there as well. So there's like the three Argentina guys and Mbappe, and they're delighted, obviously, and he's absolutely, absolutely heartbroken. And you can understand why on a very basic level, but to do to lose a final, I think, is one thing. To lose a final when you have done what he did, to score a penalty, to then score like a couple of minutes later, to score an unbelievable goal, to make it 2-2 at a point where I think, you know, before that penalty, everyone was going, well, this is, I'm not sure this is a great final, to be honest, you know. Um, to then score another penalty with the amount of pressure he must have been under to take a second penalty of the game to ensure that the game went to penalties or, you know, as you saw, it could have easily gone France's way right at the end, an amazing save from, from uh, Emmy Martinez. And then to score in the shootout, hat trick in the World Cup final, and you're walking off with a losers' medal. That's got to be that's got to be tough. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And he was fantastic. I mean, the second goal that he scored, uh, the late equaliser, was a brilliant, brilliant goal. And he was electric at times. And yeah, he comes away without having won it. But the only thing that you can say about Mbappe is he may have other chances, you know, and this was certainly Messi's last chance. Yeah, exactly. And he's already um, won it. And he's already won it. I mean, there was this fit stat that BBC showed at the end of the game of uh, career World Cup goals. And Mbappe, I think he's like fourth or fifth already. Wow. Uh, yeah, like he's closer, he's top with like 14 and Mbappe's got 11 or something like to that effect something around that region so you know he's going to be the greatest goal scorer in world cup history probably um he, he could score 20 or 30 world cup goals to be honest the way he's going um which would be remarkable i i know that won't be any consolation to him today but it was that sort of added to the poetry and the poignancy of the occasion you know that the the greatest player of one generation came up against the greatest player of the next generation. And, you know, the, as much as Argentina won the trophy, there was no doubt that the sort of individual baton was kind of handed over here from from Messi to Mbappe. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was so much narrative around the game, uh, which is partly what made it so compelling, I think. We had a question, actually, um, from... T on Twitter is at fighting underscore Wixards, Wixards, W-X-O-R-D-S. And he says, can you remember another game that was billed as a one player versus one player, like Messi versus Mbappe, that actually delivered like this game? And I was mm. thinking about that, and I'm not sure I can. No, I mean, I'm sure plenty of time it's been billed in that way. But I can't remember too many occasions where that's how it's actually played out. Um yeah, it, it it was really striking. And, you know, Messi is, is not, I, I think it's fair to say, not at the peak of his powers, but the moments that he had on the ball 
you know, it's still so evident his quality. I mean, he almost he almost won it, didn't he? Um, right at the very death. Was it of normal time? He had the shot from the edge of the box in like the 98th minute that was yeah. Loris turned over the bar. But, you know, if I think it was, it was a couple of yards either side of the goalkeeper, there would be no stopping that because it was, it was such power. Yeah. Uh, and Mbappe, who just dragged France, you know, back into the game when... It, it, and you're right. It was kind of not much of a contest for quite long periods. I mean, Argentina completely dominated the first half and most of the second half uh, was actually relatively devoid of yeah. incident. Yeah. Um, I was wondering yeah. I was wondering if the reports of the, the illness in the French camp were a significant factor in their first half performance because I thought Argentina were very good. But equally, I thought France were genuinely terrible in that. Yeah, they really didn't turn up. Yeah. And I don't know if that's nerves or if it's like these are guys that have, you know, been shitting themselves raw for a couple of days and have had to get out of bed to play a World Cup final. I'm not sure. Um, it, It felt like there was an element of that. But the way France got back into the game and grew into the game and and made it a real contest suggests maybe that that first half. Um, you know, to make two substitutions. I did feel for Olivier Giroud, actually. Um, mm. I know he was maybe carrying an injury going into the final. There was some talk of an ankle problem. Uh, and Dembele on the right-hand side was just, it was, it was it sort of reminded me a bit of, you know, when Nicolas Pepe had one of those days, mm. it was a bit like that. And then to sort of make two changes before the break in a World Cup final, I mean, that's got to sting. That's got to sting a bit. But... You know, they were back into it. I mean, Otamendi is sort of, I guess, the Argentine Mustafi, right? Mm-hmm. That there's always the potential for a Rick. And that moment, you know, it's, it's. I think what's fascinating and brilliant and amazing about football is just the way it can shift on a sixpence and just go in a direction that you did not expect. You know, I think like you... I was watching that second half going, well, yeah, this is fine. Messi's going to win it. That's grand, blah, blah, blah. And then Otamendi has a chance to just kick the ball out. All he had to do is just kick it, either out for a throw or back up the field or whatever. And he dallied and France get the penalty and they score the penalty. And then Mbappe scores the goal a couple of minutes later. And from there, you have the most enthralling football contest I can remember for for a really long time. And that is what is so incredible about this game. What is so incredible about football is that you can be experiencing one thing in one minute and 40 minutes later you're sitting there going, what the fuck just happened? Like, what have I been through? What have, what have, they, what have they served us up here on a silver platter of footballing deliciousness? It was amazing. Yeah, it can confound you. Because I have to say, even once France got those two goals back, I I would not have put money on Argentina getting the next goal in the game. You know, Mm. I I felt like, well, all the momentum's with France now. And Argentina found found it within themselves to get in front again, then peg back again. I mean, it, it it was chaos. It was dramatic. And those double substitution, that double substitution rather from Deschamps, I mean, it was a massive call and a big statement to make. But actually, I think over the 120 minutes, he got that right. I thought France, you know, Taram and Kolo Mwani came on 
they were a handful. Mm. You know, they didn't always execute brilliantly, but they were a real handful. And I think they gave France an energy and a mobility and attack that maybe with Giroud carrying an injury and being the ages, they'd lacked. Um, I agree that Otamendi's kind of chaotic. I'm sort of surprised that he makes that Argentina 11 because they've got Romero, they've got Sandro Martinez, who's been playing very well recently in the Premier League. It's very small, uh, though. He's very small. He is very small. That's true. Um, that's that's what we've got. We, we'll always have that. He's not going to get any taller, so we'll yeah. always be able to make fun of him for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I say, just kind of flabbergasted. And ultimately, I do feel like it is the it's the result that I wanted, and I think it's a fitting um, sort of coda towards the end of Messi's career, um, and a fitting honour for him. Because the point about him is is that being Argentinian, you know, whether or not he was, uh, you know, one of the world's best players, he, he would probably be compared to Maradona. But mm. specifically being Argentinian and Maradona, arguably his greatest achievement, I mean, he did a lot with Napoli, but arguably his greatest achievement was that 1986 World Cup um, and sort of dragging them to glory. And mm. when when you look at this Argentina team, I don't know how fancied they were going in. I mean, you know, the, I can think of teams who would have been fancied more, but what they always had uh, was Messi. And mm. you can't deny his impact in this final. I mean, what I would say as well is that the Messi that has won the World Cup is is not prime Messi, right? No. no. By some distance. Because we have seen and felt and experienced Prime Messi in our lives as Arsenal fans. And it's a very different player. He is a very different player now at 35 than he was at 25, you know. And that's obvious. Everyone understands that. I think the the point you make about Maradona and, you know, diminutive left-footed genius, mm. you know, <laughs> it's we all understand why those comparisons are made, right? Because um, what Maradona did and could do with a football is not dissimilar in many ways from what Messi does and did and um, has astonished us with down the years. But I think some of the the teammates, some of the players around him deserve credit too, you know, on a day like today where... 120 minutes plus however much injury time there was in the first half. There was like eight minutes in the first half. There was probably seven or eight in the second half as well, wasn't there? I can't remember. And then extra time. Like I think the supporting, all the focus, the spotlight right now is on Messi and he's, you know, bowing to the crowd and holding his flowers and everything else. But some of that supporting cast really went a long way to help him win this World Cup and, and to go out on the international stage, which I assume he will at this point. I assume he will call it quits um, internationally for this. Like I mentioned him earlier, I thought Alexis McAllister was unbelievable today. I thought he was just so committed and so um, energetic and positive with the ball. Um, the assist for Angel Di Maria, who, you know, is not somebody I always have a great deal of time for, but, you know, got a penalty um, however you want to think about that. Maybe a little bit soft, but there you go. Um, and Amy Martinez. Yeah, McAllister was a credit yeah. to Ireland, wasn't he? He really? was, yeah. You know, we're all very proud of him over here. Uh -huh. and, and I have to say, I actually thought Di Maria was really good when he was on. I thought yeah. it was 
excellent. And that goal is a fantastic goal. Um, mm. Beautifully worked. And I suppose, you know, we've got a few minutes into the podcast with, without really talking about him, but the, the guy between the sticks, Emmy Martinez, played a massive part in this tournament for Argentina. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's somebody who divides opinion, I think, among Arsenal fans. Um, <laughs> there, was a, there was a question here, I think, uh, which I'll try and find. But um, look, he is a massive shithouser. Unbelievable penalty shootout guy. Antics. Like, yeah. the, the antics, like, was it, who was it who put the ball wide? Was it Coleman? Chumani, was it? Or Chumani, yeah, I think it was Chumani. And he sort of kicked the ball away and he actually got booked. Um, oh, did he get booked? He for that? got booked. I was they, thinking. Yeah, they said on TV, uh, here anyway, they said on TV, I wasn't watching on BBC, I was watching on RTE. And they said on TV that he got booked. I'm and then. Yeah, he I mean, the ball away from him. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and this sort of goes. You know, when you think about the Netherlands uh, penalty shootout as well, where both teams were really at it. You know, both teams were trying everything they could to gain the slightest bit of advantage, which is the way it should be. I think this is top level sport. You know, you can shake hands afterwards, but like while the game is going. You do what you need to do to try and, you know, for your own sake or for the sake of your team, you know, to try and win. And it would be all perfect and utopian if everyone was upstanding and played by the rules and, you know, was a gentleman all the time. That's not really how it works. That isn't how it works. Um, so, you know, I have to say I was, I was, I was happy for Emmy Martinez. Um, they were talking to Liam Brady about him on, on television here. Because they'd said, oh, Liam, you must be proud because you were the Arsenal youth. You must have been part of bringing Emmy Martinez in. He sort of said, no, 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 no. That was the scouts, et cetera, et cetera. But he talked about him and some of the loan moves that he had. And he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, he was, you know, he's always a guy who had to watch his weight. He had a, tens a tendency to be overweight, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really quite interesting because has there been a player who has bloomed quite as late as Emmy Martinez that you can think of? Like he was, what, 27 when he broke into the the team when Bernd Leno got injured, I think. 27, you know? 28, I yeah. think. Um, How do you feel about Emmy Martinez winning it? Uh, I feel... Oh, he's 30 now, so yeah. Probably, he's 30 yeah. now. I think he was 28. Yeah. I feel pleased for him, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, a lot of Arsenal fans feel a bit frustrated that Emmy um, talks. talks about Arsenal <laughs> a lot in interviews. But I do think, I do feel some sympathy with players in that respect, in that they answer the questions they're asked, by and large. And it is a massive part of his story. Um you know, he was there for a long time, 13 years, I think, mm. something like that. He came over in his mid-teens. and I think it was about 16, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm pleased for him. I mean, it's, it is an incredible story. I'm trying to think if I can think of a player who has bloomed quite so late. I can't really. I think if there's a position where that's maybe more prone to happen I, I guess it might be goalkeeper mm. um, but yeah he's really done remarkably well I mean he was superb for us in that spell where Bern Leno got injured um, I think Argentina oh, 
Neil Moore pay a debt of gratitude. I don't think I'd ever say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's gone to Aston Villa and done well enough for them. But with Argentina, he's been brilliant. And it's been a bit of a problem position for them over mm. the years. They've had some quite unconvincing goalkeepers down the years at previous World Cups. And they, with Martinez, have won the Copper America uh, and now the World Cup with some big, big, big saves from him along the way. I mean, that one he made... Right at the death? Right at the death, I think, from Mwani, is an incredible save. Unbelievable. Yeah. At, at that stage of the of the, the game, of the tournament, I was thinking, oh, my God, th- this guy's going to win it. This guy's going to win it for France. And um, it's a huge save. And, like, the Martinez at one end makes the big save, and Martinez uh, at the other end... Might have scored. Should have scored, probably, or should have, you know, put his header at least close to the goal. Yeah. Um, a tale of two Martinez's. Is, um, I, I, I think, because the, the, the thing about that save is, I don't think the striker gets a great deal wrong. Like, he goes low, he hits it with a decent amount of power, he sort of aims in the near post, but the spread that uh, Emmy gets, or El Dibu, as I believe he's known almost universally in Argentina now, it's a, it's a brilliant save. And, um, yeah, I, 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 that's one of my pipes about to explode. That bodes well. That's um, good. But, yeah, I, I, I'm pleased for him. And it's an extraordinary rise. Who knows where it ends? I mean, does he just, you know, go back to Aston Villa and he's an Aston Villa goalkeeper? Quite surreal, really, seeing an Argentina team win a World Cup with an Aston Villa player in it and a Brighton and Hove Albion player. Yeah, and a Spurs player. As a Spurs player. I mean, yeah, I guess... Yeah. One of the Spurs players on the pitch had to lose, and ultimately it was uh, Hugo Lloris. He he proved Spursiest of all. I guess he's the Spurs captain, right? So mm. it's it's deeper in his DNA. Yeah, he's been there a long time. Been there a long time. It's hardwired, hardwired <laughs> into him. Um, it, it. I mean, it raises all sorts of uh, questions about Emmy. I mean, we've talked about it many times, but when you see him lifting the World Cup and um, thrusting. The, at the Golden Glove, do you feel like the club got it right with him or not? I just think it's one of those situations that's probably worked out pretty well for everyone, right? Yeah. In that, I think we're all very happy with Aaron Ramsdale. At the time, when all this sort of went down, because I remember when Leno got injured, when Mope did the thing and Leno got injured... It was like, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Because Martinez had been for, you know, I think this was maybe, was it his first season as like the official second choice goalkeeper? I think it was. Possibly. You know, and he'd been on all these loan spells. He'd been to... He'd been at Reading on loan the year before, actually. Yeah. That's right. And that was maybe his best one, but he'd been to... Oxford United, he'd been to Rotherham. Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday. Wolves, barely go- played, Hetafe, barely Hetafe, played. Hetafe, yeah, exactly. Even when he went to Spain, he he he, he didn't play. Well, Spain, I, I just mean a Spanish-speaking country where he would have felt pretty um, pretty comfortable. So there was no, there was never any, what would you say? What's What, am I, what word am I looking for here? It wasn't like th- this was a guy who every time he came in played amazingly well, but was finding himself ditched and dumped and back on the bench. 
You know, there weren't really oh, no. the signs that... Conceded five at Reading. Yeah. Uh, infamously. So he came in, did brilliantly for two months and helped us win an FA Cup in fantastic fashion. He got a move where he's playing regular football. It got him into the Argentina team and he's now won the World Cup and we've got a goalkeeper that we're happy with and I think everybody can be relatively pleased. Um, you yeah, know, we got we got yeah. £20 million for a player that two months previously was worth £2 million at most. And I think you have to look at the timing of when that sale came. It was 2020. It was the pandemic. We were laying people off as a club. Mm. You know, to be able to sell a player for £20 million at that particular time, I think... Arsenal felt it was a good offer. Um, mm. And I also think that there's a certain extent to which Inyaki Kanya, the goalkeeper coach, and maybe even Mikel Arteta as well, probably wanted their own man as goalkeeper. They probably had their own ideas about who that should be. And mm. they inherited Leno, they inherited Martinez. And I think they probably wanted to bring someone in who was like their guy. Mm. But you cannot argue... Uh, with what Martins has done, certainly at international level, and fair play to him. He really had to bide his time. He had to be patient. You know, a lot of players, if they struggled to make the breakthrough, might have, you know, lost focus, sure. given up, especially goalkeepers. Sometimes they fall into a pattern where they're like, well, you know, this is an easy, easy living being second or third choice. And I can go around clubs doing that and, earning a really nice paycheck in a mm. relatively low-pressure role. That happens more than you might think. And he always had that desire to prove himself, show what he could do, and he's he's really done it now. I mean, he'll be an absolute hero in Argentina. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the whole team will. It's uh, yeah. the first World Cup since um, 1986, of course. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I'm still slightly exhausted by that game or or trying to get my thoughts together about about everything. But I do have a question here from the Discord, given Go that on. the tournament is over now. And it comes from Feck in Hell. And he says, good evening, lads. Has your opinion on staging the World Cup in Qatar changed in any way from pre-tournament criticisms? Yeah, it's a good question. Um I, I might invoke the immortal words of Darren Huckabee, who I think tweeted, <laughs> did you see this? No. He said, uh, human rights aside, it's been a great World Cup. <laughs> Which I just thought was a very funny phrase. Um, my opinion hasn't really changed, no. I was watching the World Cup final today with a couple of people who'd been out in Doha um, for some of the games. Mm. And... They spoke about, they'd been at England-Wales, for example, and they were saying just, you know, there wasn't much atmosphere. They didn't feel like there were a great many fans who'd actually made the trip. Uh, it was bizarre, effectively, the entire tournament taking place in a city. Um, then on top of that, all the human rights issues, uh, even if Darren Huckabee is able to sort of put them to one side. Um, I still feel that this is a World Cup that is somewhat, uh, what's the word? 
With an asterisk? Say again? With an asterisk? Yeah, maybe. To my mind, it's a bit tainted. And I know that some people disagree, and that's fine. Mm. But it's only how I see it. And um, it may be that I'm seeing it through a a particular political or geopolitical prism. Mm -hmm. And if so, I I guess I can't really escape that. But I do think that there's a lot that's problematic about this tournament. That said, I can't deny that in terms of the quality of the football as a spectacle, as entertainment, you know, it has produced some great games. And I think the knockout stages in particular have been really excellent. And and I do think that will probably be remembered as the most dramatic World Cup final in history. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? That the football, because of football itself, because of how much we love it, because of, you know, where it can take you in the space of 90 minutes or 120 minutes or whatever it is, that's why countries want to host a World Cup. Because Mm -hmm. you do not necessarily, forget is the wrong word, but you focus on the football and that's not to say any of this, uh, the pre-tournament discussions weren't valid. Of course they were. And criticisms, you know, as there will be, I'm sure, of the next World Cup hosts will be valid as well. But that's why they want to host the World Cup. Mm. Because they know the power of the game. And the power of the game is such that it it takes you away from everything else. And there's no question that tonight... After watching that final, you know, there's going to be a generation of kids who watch that at home with their parents tonight, boys and girls all over the world. This will be their first experience of a World Cup final, and it will stick in their mind forever and ever and ever as an amazing game of football, beautifully shot, lots of great fireworks, amazing images, even if Gianni Infantino tried to He's hog all the limelight and was yeah, yeah wearing trainers you know so those are some of the benefits of it i think what's been interesting for me anyway um is trying to throughout this tournament consume as much as i possibly can to give me a better understanding of um you know the game of qatar as a country which i didn't know a great deal about before the world cup but um i've listened to some things and i've uh, read some things and you know the importance of the world cup being in the arab world to football fans in that part of the world you know and how mm-hmm. um incredibly connected they were to it and and the guardian i think did a really good podcast um like maybe last their last one on Thursday, the Football Weekly podcast, mm. and they had, um, you know, um, the usual panel. Philippe was on it, and they had um, James Montague, who wrote a book about football in the Arab world, and they had the guy whose name I can't remember, but he provided the investigation for a couple of the David Squires cartoons. You know, where he did these, um, you know, the the cartoons about migrant workers. Cartoon mm. sounds wrong, but the comic strips, I think, maybe is a better way of putting it. And then they also had some Muslim voices on it. They had um, uh, Nas, you know, uh, uh, at Bearded Genius. 
uh, on Twitter, yeah. and they had another lady on. I think she was from Canada, and just to get their perspectives and to sort of open your mind to the perspectives of of other people and how other people view the tournament. And I think it's you know it's important to raise issues, and it is important to raise issues about. Um, human rights and about the way workers are treated and migrant workers and, and whether or not they're properly or adequately compensated for the work that they do in a country as rich as Qatar. And I think the other um, the other element, of course, is the LGBTQ plus um, element where um, despite uh, assurances that there wouldn't be any issues, there were some issues and, and everything else. But I think that the overriding thing I have here from this tournament is it's not necessarily criticism of Qatar. It's more about FIFA and what FIFA is as an organization, what FIFA stands for as an organization, and what FIFA does and is doing to the game of football that we all love. And that's why people are listening to this tonight, because we love football, we love Arsenal and everything else. I think my main takeaway is just what a uh, horrendous, soulless, money-grabbing, disconnected from the real football fan organization FIFA is from top to bottom. And I'm sorry that that also includes Arsene Wenger. And I thought some of the comments he made during this tournament were pretty tone deaf for a guy who has always... Well, not always, but usually been on the right side of, um, you know, societal issues. I was quite disappointed with some of those. But throughout the tournament, um, FIFA were nowhere. They were nowhere. They wouldn't answer to any journalist. They wouldn't talk about anything. There were anything that was brought up. They were nowhere. And then at the end, that big fucking egghead cunt is out there trying to make himself the story as Lionel Messi is desperate to get away from him and lift the World Cup with his teammates. And really, that's my overriding take on all this, is that FIFA is just a dark, whole, heartless fucking chasm of nothingness beyond what it can rake out of the game and rake out of football fans. And that's kind of the... That's kind of where I am with it. So, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. To be honest with you, um, I came into the tournament as I think you might remember. I'd watched that Netflix FIFA documentary basically on the eve of the tournament, mm. and then everything that fell out right at the start about the rainbow armbands and things like that. You know, that does leave a stain for me. Um, but I think that the important thing is just to sort of try and look at everything in proper context. Like, all, what FIFA wanted was for people to just focus on the football. Mm. And I think, actually, most people I've spoken to who have who are football fans have engaged with the World Cup in a much broader way yeah, than that. But there has been true. some, at least, discussion of kind of socio-political elements to it. And I think... That's all you can do, really, you know, is try and be responsible, try and be cognizant and be aware. Mm. It's difficult to have right answers because they're complex issues. But um, I think it's good that those issues at least have been discussed. Yeah, unless you start talking about things, then nothing happens, you know. Yeah. Um, FIFA's like shut up and just focus on the football 
you know, I understand why they would say that, but that's not the right way for for fans or for journalists and reporters. And I think, you know, across this tournament, there has been fantastic stuff written and said and, you know, recorded and broadcasted and everything else. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where... I don't know where to leave it here. Um, uh, by the way, I would just add, I, yeah. I think we said this a bit last week, but I, I was also really disappointed in some of Arsene's comments and it is disheartening because he is a hero to many of us. Um, but I would add that in his life and in his career, he has often been or certainly became at Arsenal a company man. We probably weren't, as aware of it because he was, you know, defending Arsenal at times. But, you know, he Mm. backed whoever owned the club at that particular moment to the absolute hill. He was very, very, very loyal to his employers. And uh, it seems (laughs) he retains that loyalty to his employers, um, which probably many of us would if we were being paid such an extraordinary amount of money. Sure. Nevertheless, yeah, it is a bit disappointing. It is. And, you know, some of the stuff that FIFA have announced this week about, you know, Club World Cup and expanded this, that and the other and fucking, yeah, it's just kind of depressing. But hopefully, you know, in the wake of this World Cup, which is over now and we can focus again on on football and Arsenal and everything else, I hope that the scrutiny of FIFA and I hope the scrutiny of the people at the top of that organization and the decisions they make and the reasons why they make those decisions continue to be scrutinized by the press, not just the football press, but the wider press, I think, because you know this is an organization that has an impact beyond football, I think, right? Because... Um, you know, if you think about the infrastructure projects that are required or were required for for this particular World Cup, you know, this is you know, FIFA have set in chain uh, or set in motion a, a chain of events. You know, so Qatar get the World Cup. They need to build eight stadiums. Where do they get the workers for those stadiums? The figures about you know, how many people have died or how many people died building those stadiums are, are you know, sketchy. There are um, wildly contrasting reports. But, you know, people came from very poorly paid countries to earn relatively a bit more, but in sort of Western terms, if you like, is that the right way to put it? You know, they're they're massively underpaid. You know, and and this is the impact that FIFA has, not just on football, but on the lives of real people, whether they're interested in football or not, you know. So I'm hopeful that 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 kind of scrutiny will continue and that somehow pressure on FIFA will continue and will um, demand better decision making. And um, the decisions they make have consequences and ultimately they should be responsible for, for some of those com- uh, consequences. Like there ought to be a fund for um, compensation for people who have died um, building these stadiums and everything else, because without FIFA, that wouldn't have happened, you know? hundred mm-hmm. percent. All right. Well, look, will we take a little break here because we can do a little bit of uh, Arsenal chat and some more questions in part two. How about that? Yeah, we played a, a game yesterday at the Emirates Stadium. Yeah. So 
should probably have a chat about that. Let's do that. All right, we'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. And of course, if Twitter does fall apart, there's a really great uh, little chat community there if you want to get involved. So you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. Now, this time next week, James, it will be Christmas. It will. It will. And we... A couple of weeks ago, months ago, I don't know when we did it exactly, but we put on sale the mug, the Goodly Morning Mug, and we said that the profits for uh, that we get from those mugs are going to go to two children's hospitals, Great Ormond Street uh, Hospital in London and Our Lady's Hospital uh, for Sick Children here in Dublin. Every but single we've decided... To so keep them. We're going on a holiday, James. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. It's, Thanks. I'm, I'm glad that's what we're going, going to the Maldives. So right. pack your oh, bags. Thanks. Merry Christmas, everyone. Tell your missus. You'll be back in a couple of weeks. No, um, the, the amount of mugs we have sold has generated 9,644 euros and 82 cents. Wow. Unbelievable. Just for mugs. That is mad. That is Unbelievable! Like genuinely, I thought we might because, like the the site that does it, right? They sell the mug and they ship the mug and they make the mug and everything else, and we get like a little. I think it's twenty percent or something, right? Right. So a lot of mugs have been sold. Um, but nine thousand six hundred and forty-four euros and eighty-two cents doesn't. It's not a great figure. I'm not mad for that figure. So yeah. what we'll do is we'll round it up to 10,000 euros, we will send tomorrow, this week, 5,000 euros to Great Ormond Street Hospital and 5,000 euros to Our Lady's Hospital for Sick Children here in Dublin. And thank you so much to everybody who has bought a mug and heading into Christmas, you know, being able to support two amazing um, hospitals slash charities who do such amazing work for not just the kids who are sick, but their families as well. who have to, 
you know, spend a lot of time in these places. If our money can go some way to helping them as well, then uh, that's fantastic. So just a big thank you to everyone. And there you go. The Goodly Morning that's Mug, I think very, you'd say, is a, a success. That is that is goodly indeed. And you're still taking me to the Maldives, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah, few. Don't few, worry few, about few, that. Few. <laughs> that's a great relief. I wouldn't promise that and then take it away. Couldn't. Now, Andrew. <laughs> yes. Did you watch uh, Arsenal versus Juventus? I did not. I did not. I didn't see any of it. I was okay. out yesterday evening. Um, did would you? Would you like me to give you a quick yeah. pressy, a summary? That would be great. Uh, we lost. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, 2-0. Yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. I have to be honest and say, I mean, I have seen some people be quite angry about that on Twitter. Can you believe really? it? Of all things and of all places. Um, it's crazy. It's unprecedented that people would be no for that irrationally whatsoever. angry on Twitter. I don't know. But it was quite a bizarre defeat in that Arsenal really dominated uh, long periods of the game, particularly the first half. I think at halftime they'd had 75 possession against wow. uh, quite a weak Juve side, substantially weaker than our own team, which looked strong. We had the likes of Ramsdale, White, Shaka, Partey, all back and in the starting 11. Um, maybe where we were missing something was in attack. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus injured, Saka and Martinelli not yet uh, ready to play, Smith Rowe also not ready, hadn't mm. trained for a few days, a little bit alarming possibly. Yeah. Um, and so we had Nelson and Ketia and Fabio Vieira, was it? Fabio Vieira, that's right. And then I actually thought in the first half, Reese Nelson was probably Arsenal's brightest player, but in, mm. in the first 20 minutes or so, sadly, he picked up an injury. Um, he came off for Marquinhos. Even so, you know, we might well have gone ahead. I think Eddie and Ketcher scored a, a goal that was disallowed for offside, which probably shouldn't have been. And, you know, in a game with VAR. Where but, was know, the VAR? Where was God the VAR? Damn. You know how much I love it. Um, you know, Fabio Vieira had a decent shot saved. Uh, Eddie hit the post when he probably should have scored after Arsenal won the ball back high up the pitch from some sloppy mm. uh, Juve play. And then on half time. Arsenal scored an own goal. Cross came in from the right. Granite Shaka got a flick on it and it uh, sort of drifted into the far corner. And then uh, after an hour, Eddie had the ball in the net again. Again, this time it was disallowed for a foul, probably correctly. And then Juve, right, the death went up and got another goal via another own goal. Another um, own goal? Yeah, I think so. Well, either an own goal or deflection, depending on how you see it, basically across uh from uh, or a cross shot from the left hand side low across the ground Ramsdale kind of dived to intercept it but it it clipped up off a defender who was trying to block mm. it and lifted over him and went to the back of the net and uh Juventus somehow won 2-0 i mean the, their players i think looked pretty uh, amazed that they'd achieved that cuz arsenal had, had all the balance of play i guess you know if you wanted to find something to be worried about maybe it might be that for all our possession we didn't convert but we have got Saka and Martinelli to come back and yeah. I do think that will make a tremendous difference I think maybe you know the other area of concern is how bad is this Nelson injury because it comes in you know in attack where we've already lost Gabriel Jesus we're sort of a little bit worried about what kind of shape Emil Smith-Rowe is going to come back in when he'll be back um that would be 
my sort of area of concern. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a fitness exercise as much as anything. And um, yeah, yeah n- no injuries welcome at this point because, you know, we do have some players out um, and you want your squad as deep as, as you can get it. I did see some people talking about um, a couple of the young players who played, though, who got on. Yeah. Uh, I, Dubry. I yeah, he was really good. Uh, Koja Dubry, he came on, played on the left-hand side and was a real threat and so direct. Uh, Amario Koja Dubry, he's only 17. 17. Yeah. And I think he was the outstanding young player who came on and really impressed. It was sort of shades of an Emirates Cup game, you know, mm. where someone catches your eye and stands out and you think, wow, we've actually really got something there. The Jeff. Um, exactly. The classic um, The Jeff. And uh, Nwaneri came on mm. as well and uh, did okay. There's a couple of other young players on the bench, but um, he was excellent. He was excellent. So who knows? I mean, maybe in... We've got an FA Cup tie, haven't we, against Oxford, where we might include a few younger players potentially in the squad. He won't have done his chances any harm whatsoever. Yeah, okay. Well, that's sort of pre-season to the the re-seasoning done. Do you think they might have a game behind closed doors this week just to sort of uh, get the match fit again? I don't know of one. I I knew that, you know, obviously they had one... One or two, didn't they, at, at, at Colney um, before they went to Dubai? Um, good question. Don't know of one. Mm. Wouldn't amaze me. No, me neither. There, there are players you could do with those minutes. What is it now? So they played Juve and then there's about nine days until West Ham on Boxing Day. So there is room. There is room. There is potentially room, isn't there, for like a 4-2 defeat to Brentford B or something. Um, Yeah, exactly. Something else to get people panicking. (laughs) Uh, But they might even just do, you know, they can always do something with the academy, against the academy side or, you know, split the first team squad in half. They can find a way to kind of increase the competitiveness of the session if they need to. Um, But they sound optimistic about, you know, having Saka ready, having Martinelli, uh, yeah. Martinelli ready, potentially Tommy Yasu ready, although he's got a problem as well. He didn't play against Juve. Um, and Zinchenko still hasn't played in this kind of yeah. pre- second preseason. Do you think he, I mean, he seems like the kind of player who doesn't necessarily need the preseason. Like I'm thinking about him and I'm thinking about Emil Smith-Rowe and Emil is definitely going to need a few games, isn't he? Like there's going to be an outing with the under 21s or whatever it might be. I mean, it's a little bit. I was hoping we would see him at some point. Yeah. Before the the Premier League resumed again, it would have been ideal, wouldn't it, to mm. give him some of these minutes? I mean, obviously, the important thing is to get him 100 percent fit and keep him 100 percent fit. Right. That's yeah. the most important thing. So. Um, you know they'll focus on doing that, I'm sure, but still a little bit disappointing that he hasn't been able to get back on the pitch um, to the extent that we might like. Uh, yeah. I, I agree, um, but Zinchenko. My point is, I think Zinchenko doesn't necessarily need as much as Smith Rowe might need. I think well, he's we've kind seen of yeah. He's done it. To throw he? him in, haven't we? Yeah. As soon as he's fit, um, he'll play him. And to be honest. Maybe that's been our mistake. Yeah, maybe we need to give him a chance to get 100%. I mean, maybe that's what this is. 
that's what Maybe. you know the, his absence is so um, because it does feel like we've thrown him back in every time we've been able to and then we've lost him again shortly afterwards mm. um yeah, I really hope he can stay fit in the second half of the season. I think he's obviously going to be a really important player for us. Yeah. Kieran Tierney played at left back against Juventus and did well enough. And, you know, he, he may start the Premier League uh, fixtures as the man in possession of the shirt. So yeah. that'll be interesting to observe. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, there wasn't a huge deal other than that to say about the game. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about Eddie, as there always is going to be. I think there's a lot of scrutiny on him because mm. Gabriel Jesus is out. I think Eddie had seven shots in the game, was involved in a lot. I think he might have had a goal, as I say, chalked off incorrectly. He had another chance that he absolutely should have scored and hit the post. Um, on another day, he walks away with a couple of goals. And I, and I do think that... Um, I, I've had, had a question about this. Mm. I had a question about this. Let's see. Let's find it. Um, rather than us just blathering on. Uh, was it on Twitter? Maybe I didn't. Maybe I dreamt it. Maybe I dreamt it. Maybe it was a question I asked myself. Maybe it somebody, was. somebody somewhere <laughs> <laughs> asked something about Eddie. Eddie. Right. Yeah, and it was like, oh god, this person's going to be so furious. They're going to be like, "It was me, it was me." I asked a question about Eddie. <laughs> it was something about, do we need to back Eddie? You know, like, are we as a fan base a bit um, down on him? I think and, you know, I saw that question. It could have been on the Discord. Feels like it was on the Discord, doesn't it? Is it the one? Uh, is it? When can people start backing Eddie? Thought we were past all this BS of slating players. Supporting the team means supporting the players. Is that is that the one I was thinking of. That's it. from... And who asked that? J underscore what 17. That's the one. Thanks, J what. Yeah, I mean, it just seemed to me, and again, it's the prism of social media, but people were very quick to get on his back after a friendly against Juventus. And I think, I do think that's a bit unfair. I, I, I think there's probably a an element of fear slash trepidation involved in that yeah. because of the absence of, of Jesus. And, you know, if Eddie goes three or four games in the Premier League without scoring a goal or missing chances, then, you know, as much as anyone, God he will he know. He go 10, yeah. like Gabriel Jesus. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I think there is this, this we're going to miss Gabriel Jesus. I think everyone realizes that and understands that. Um, yeah, I, I and, already miss him. And as the guy who's basically taking his place in the team, Eddie's in the spotlight. So I understand it. But, you know, he showed at the end of last season he can score goals if he gets a run of starts. I think what he's going to have in the next few weeks, at least anyway, is a run of starts. So let's hope he can reproduce that. Um, I mean, the discussion about what we should do and how we should cope and do we need more depth i think we've had that discussion more than once on here and certainly you know um on the arsecast on friday we talked about it a bit as well the the depth issue is is an important one uh, something that they're going to have to solve but you know i can't i can't get freaked out or worried too much beyond my existing level of worry of life without gabriel jesus uh, based on you know, preseason friendly. I just can't do it. You know, we can talk about Eddie when the real football starts again. And when it does, then 
you know, we'll do that um, depending on what he produces or doesn't produce. But, you know, Juventus in a game that doesn't matter, really fitness. I can't, I can't go there. I can't go there. So let's see. Um, well, uh, have you got a question? I do have a question. It comes from, we have a couple of questions about the same player, actually. And that player is William Saliba. Piers Bate, who's at Piers Bate, says, was this the perfect World Cup for Arsenal with regards to Saliba? And Aaron, who's at A20NWK on Twitter, says, to what extent will the France result affect William Saliba, uh, given he's barely played in the tournament? Yeah, I had the same question from uh, World of Oli on Twitter about what what sort of effect this will have on Saliba. Mm. Really difficult to say, isn't it? Because he's he's literally not kicked a ball. I think I'm right in saying. No, he he did get on in one of the games. Oh, you're right. Got on in one of the group games, I think. Anyway. Yes, I think yeah. that's true. I but not much, true. not much playing time. But barely, yeah, beyond that, not very much. I, I think. Listen, I think having got to the final, the ideal outcome is probably for him to to be a winner in that situation. Mm. Um, I just think, you know, what that could do for his confidence and etc. would be really handy. Um, but, listen, I, he's been through so much in his young career. Um, a very tumultuous period from when he first signed for Arsenal until he actually broke into the first team. Loan spells, injuries, serious issues in his personal life that have befallen him. And he's handled that incredibly well. And so I don't really worry about the consequences of this World Cup final defeat for him. As we said of Mbappe, he's at an age where he will get chances again and he will get chances most likely where his destiny is more in his own hands. Um, you know, he'll be looking at Rafa Varane and, you know, the age that he is and looking at the next World Cup mm. and thinking that could be my place. Um, and that will be the World Cup that my career, you know... Is building towards, be, yeah. Yes, exactly. Is more defined by. But I, I'm sure it's been an incredible experience for him to be part of this group, part of this squad, say what you will about France. I mean, consecutive World Cup finals is no mean feat. There's a lot of uh, winners in that squad and a very strong mentality, a mentality that meant they, you know, beat England, to be honest, when without playing particularly well and dragged themselves back into a game in which they'd barely performed until the 80th minute. Mm. So I think being around that um, winning culture will have been... A positive for him and the most important thing is that he it looks like he's coming back to us fit and that mm. is huge fit and dying to play football competitively i would say yeah um, yeah i agree with that i mean look did you see i don't know if you saw that ben white put out a little video via the club having been named player of the month um thanking fans for their support yeah. and i thought it was quite sweet actually i thought it was quite touching because you could sort of glean from that, I think, that he knows that Arsenal is a place where he is loved and appreciated, maybe more so than at international level. And sure. Saliba's going to have that experience too of coming back to a club where the fans adore him and he's going to play 
pretty much every game. So uh, I think what better way for him to get over his World Cup final disappointment than by getting back on into the mix of a Premier League title challenge. For sure. And like I think he would have gone to the World Cup probably hoping to play a bit more, but realistically knowing that in the pecking order under Didier Deschamps, you know, he was, what, the fourth choice centre half, maybe mm. fifth choice centre half. So... I, I think, think as soon as Deschamps went with a back four rather than yeah. a back three, his chances massively reduced. And funnily enough, exactly the same for, for White with England. Yeah. Um, so I think obviously, you know, as a, a young Frenchman and as part of the squad and everything else, he is going to be hugely disappointed about losing the final. But I don't I don't know that he's going to, like, bear the the weight of it in the way that other players might. If that makes sense, like no, he's not gonna, think. he's not gonna have, he's not gonna have to deal with something like uh, Chuameni or Coman who missed his penalty. He's not gonna have to deal with what they're gonna have to deal with, no. which will be very different. And we know what that is because we saw it happen to Bukayo Saka in the the final of Euro twenty twenty last um, last summer. You know, so I think he'll be disappointed on a human level, on a sporting level, for very obvious reasons. But I'm hoping that he is absolutely hungry to come back and play and actually just be, like you say, uh, along with Ben White, be important. Be an important part of a team that is going places. So uh, I don't think it should have any negative impact on him, really. No, I agree. Um, We talked about this guy in part one, but we had a question from Mm. uh, Tony... Can't I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry, Tony. But he's at 2-0 down anyway. And Tony says, should we be sniffing around Alexis McAllister as a potential long-term <laughs> Shaka replacement? Um, he's a good player. He is a good player. There's no there's no two ways about it. How old is he? Alexis uh, McAllister. Yeah, that's what I was just about to ask. Uh, he's 23. 23. I mean... On the back of this uh, performance, this World Cup he's had, Brighton will be going, well, we don't want to sell him. Well, they did a very smart thing in October of this year, prior to the World Cup. They signed him to a new long-term contract. Um, Right. It was one of, you know, when when De Zerbi came in there and Mm -hmm. happened very quickly afterwards. And, yeah, so (laughs) knowing Brighton... There would be a very big price tag on Alexis McAllister. Yeah. Can I just point out that I just lowered my my zip there? That wasn't a, a fart noise. It was like, it was. At which zip? Uh, the zip of the top I'm wearing upstairs. Phew. Like, yeah. Thank goodness That's for that. Good. Yeah, no. It's going to say, I mean, it's, it's you know. It's, it's a no fleece. Better. It's a fleece. Don't it's worry. A it's a big fleece. Okay. So, yeah, just, um, so, I think he's a really talented player. They're yeah, really me too. interesting. I remember. I think I saw. I think I saw his bright. I think maybe he made his debut against us. Um, Maybe not, maybe not. But I remember the first, one of our first games of the kind of project restart period mm. was, uh, I think, the Neil Mopé game. Right. And I remember Alexis McAllister coming on, I think, for Brighton in that game and playing a pretty significant role. 
He played his first home game for Brighton when he came on as a substitute in a 2-1 victory Arsenal on the 20th of June. So, yes, that was his first, uh, his home debut. And I remember him coming on and he was playing as a kind of number 10 at the time, mm. um, being a big moment in changing the momentum and thinking, wow, who is this guy? I don't this? Yeah, he came on the 89th minute though. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe um, I'm wrong. I'm just having a look here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Neil Mopay scored in the 90th. Yeah, so he came on. He definitely came on, though. You're right. He came on. <laughs> Was he involved in the goal, maybe? Uh, I don't know. He might have been. He, he might have been. Uh, for, for whatever reason. It's stuck in your head. I remembered him. And I thought, this guy looks good. But This Irish he, guy, he looks good. This Irish guy, yeah, I know. The Irish uh, internationals are going to be delighted. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyway, he now he's, he's been playing deeper this season for them. Mm. Um, I think he's a good player. Yeah, I do too. I, I, mean, I, I don't know him well enough, really, to to say. Well, I think I think he's been one of my favourite players in in the tournament. Actually, I think he's been fantastic, um, and I you know have no doubt he could do a job if he can do a job in a team for like Argentina that's won the World Cup, there's no question that he could do a job for Arsenal. The point you make, though, about the contract means he is going to be extremely, extremely expensive. And I think for the moment, Arsenal's priorities are probably elsewhere. Yeah, I, would say. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Um, I'm just seeing how much stoppage time there was that day, just so that I don't seem insane for thinking <laughs> that he came on and did well. Quite a lot because obviously Bern Leno had uh, oh he had the in got injured uh, and but the injury was in the first half. Oh, damn it! I keep thwarting you here. This is amazing. Stop doing this to me. <laughs> right, he was involved in the goal. That's all I needed to know. He played the pass into the front line for the goal. So right. that must have been what it was, Andrew. That I'm not just insane. No, 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 no. I d I never thought that. I never thought that. I only, I'm like Arsene Wenger or something. I only need 30 seconds to tell you if someone's a good player. Yeah, like Freddie Jumberg. Do you know what I mean? Get him in. Yeah, you're right. You've got the eagle eye, man. He, came, he only came on in the 87th minute. So what? He's won the World Cup now. You were right. So I was right. You were right all along. I mean, yeah. you never said it before now, but I guess it's just one of those things you keep to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you a question. I did have a question here. Uh, okay, let's do this one from the Discord. Um, from Jmart91, he said, Evening, gentlemen. What do you think of rumours that um, uh, Lewis Skelly and Nuaneri are being courted by rivals? These are two young players who yeah. aren't quite old enough yet to sign... Uh, professional terms. Um, I think it's probably true. I mean, mm. I, I don't doubt they're being courted. Um, and I think that might well have been a factor in the fact that Nuaneri played a Premier League game earlier this season. Um, and why they've been involved, you know, throughout this preseason. Yeah. I know we need more players, obviously, because, you know, numbers are low because of the guys who've been at the World Cup. But it is a chance to sort of, you know, show them what what it's all about, right? When you're with Absolutely. the first team, traveling with the first team, rooming with the first team, match preparation, all that kind of stuff. It's not quite like a like a carrot and stick situation, but it's not far off, you know what I mean? That like this is what you could have. No, and it's one of the difficulties of bringing through academy players is like how do you afford them the pathway, the opportunity 
uh, to convince them that they're in the right place. Um, I'm sure it's true. I don't know how much there is that Arsenal can do about it. I kind of think that we spoke about this a bit last week, but the bigger you get and the better you get, the more young players you will lose. Um, Mm. You know, Manchester City lost uh, Jadon Sancho, for example. And I'm sure they'll lose many others because they are competing at such an extraordinary level that it's not necessarily easy for yeah. them to... Didn't afford. they lose a few to... Uh, one guy in particular to Southampton this year uh, because their yeah. previous head of academy or whatever went down to Southampton and he went, oh, this guy, we'll have him. Because yeah. like you say, the path... It is, it's that balancing act, isn't it? Because you could make a really, really good case to any young player right now that Arsenal is the place to be. Right? This is the club to be at and everything else. But equally, as the stakes get higher, it becomes more difficult to give the young players those opportunities. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I just spoke about Koja yeah. Dibri and how brilliant he was against Juventus. But if you look at that left-hand side, um, you know, you've got Gabriel Martinelli, young, doing brilliantly. Emil yeah, Smith-Rowe, right, young, yeah. big player. Um, looking at signing Carlo Mudrick, potentially. Mm. It's daunting for a young player. And regular football is what develops you, you know, that is the thing. Um, but it's, I guess it's how they back themselves and, and maybe to an extent how the club might communicate to young players in a different way than they might have done previously, you know? Mm. Where I perhaps they sort of say, you know, we have the loan manager now, so maybe they say to them, look, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be harder for you to get into this uh, team now, but we're going to send you on loan this season and let's see what see where you are at the end of that loan. And does that push you any closer to the Arsenal first team? If not, maybe you go on another loan and you develop, you know, like Nguyenary is only 15. He's still not even 16. So Yeah, exactly. You know, I, mean, I think the important thing is for Arsenal to retain these guys at least into their early professional years yeah. so that they can then profit from the situation, whatever happens. And then when they get to that kind of development age, 17, 18, 19, it's always going to be a case of you win some, you lose some. You know, you're going to let some are going to slip through the net, or some are going to want to play first team football more desperately and force things through. Uh, that is kind of the nature of the game. I mean, to, to sort of give you an example from last summer, Arsenal were able to retain Balogun and present him with a path for his career that he felt made signing a contract the right decision for him. But they weren't able to keep Amari Hutchison and he's actually had quite a good pre-season period with Chelsea and, you know, from what I hear, they're quite excited about his talent and that's, I think, kind of the nature of development. You're going to get some that work out and some that don't and some that really want to leave because they're mm. rushed to pursue something else. But yeah, I don't think we should be... I think the club surely are aware of this and, and I, to be honest, I trust... Like some Saka and Edu and Arteta to be handling those situations, and sure. at least there is a kind of stability there now at the top of the club on the technical side that a young player can look at and think, well, if these guys are telling me this, you know, they're all under long-term contracts. Edu's just been promoted. There is a realistic expectation they might be here for the next few years yeah. and actually see this through. Well, fingers crossed, because mm. they're obviously 
really talented young guys and, and um, you know, the club are trying, showing them that, you know, they want them to be part of the project, if you want to call it that. Let me just ask you another one on a um, on another player. Uh, this comes from Aaron on the Discord. He said, as Reese Nelson's injury ended his chance of rebooting his Arsenal career, seems like he had a strong chance of starting against West Ham. Now it's hard to see opportunities if the I- injury takes a few weeks, by which time Saka, Martinelli, possibly Emile Smith-Rowe, and potential new signings could be ahead of him. It's a real blow to him, I have to say, mm. because you know when we went out of the League Cup to... Brighton. Um, I thought he was one of Arsenal's better players in that game. They obviously had great uh, moments in the Premier League game where he came off the bench and scored a couple of goals. Who was the opponent that day? Uh, Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest, there you go. And sort of reminded everybody that he is part of this squad. Um, he's been talking about you know wanting to win a new contract. I, I just kind of feel like it's a, it's a real blow. The timing of it, in particular, I think he would have standard, stood a really good chance, maybe still does, if he gets fit of getting some minutes against West Ham, mm. be that from the start or from the bench. And I do just slightly worry that he's had quite he's had quite unfortunate timing around quite a few injuries early in his career. Yeah. Like I, Again, I, my maybe my memory deceives me, but I, I feel like there have been these little false starts for him and then sustained a physical problem at the wrong time. And maybe that's not bad luck or coincidence. Maybe that's sort of part of his makeup. And if so, that's unfortunate because I think we all know there is a lot of talent there. Yeah, I think you're what you're saying about the timing of things, particularly like I remember a couple where right before the window or not far um, before the window closed, you're thinking, get a loan, go and play regularly somewhere. And he gets an injury and he stays and then he doesn't get fit enough or he isn't considered for Arsenal for the first half of the season. He stayed in the second half of the season looking to fight his way. And um, yeah, yeah, it could be, it could be a real blow for him. Um, Timing is everything. I mean, you know, just look at our conversation about Emmy Martinez, um, yeah. right place, right time. And I feel like Reese really hasn't had those breaks. And this is another instance. It didn't look like a great injury either. Like, sort of, yeah, it, mm. it, it, it was one of those ones where, like, there wasn't a ton of contact. He just sort of went down and came off straight away. Obviously, that's partly precautionary, but Artessa didn't sound hugely optimistic about it after the match either. So, uh, yeah, I do worry about that. Yeah. What did he say about it? He said... The fact he had to leave the pitch immediately is not good news, especially for someone like Reese, who is really powerful and fast. Let's see what happens. Was it hamstring or was it calf or do we know? Do you- I think it was, well, it looked to me like kind of knee or thigh. All right. Okay. Um, let's, let's see if someone has a, a, a better prognosis than me just saying what I thought. Um, muscular injury. Dr. Raj, Rajpal Bra says, may have been the left hamstring was touching at it. Mm. Like if it's a basic hamstring, it's like three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. If it's a bit more than that, um, yeah, he could be in, like just find himself so far down the pecking order that 
his chances of playing beyond sort of an FA Cup game maybe or two are, are pretty low. So, yeah, it's unfortunate for him, isn't it? It really is. Mm. Um, um, wow, that's a, a, a funny tweet. Uh, Ryan Clark, who uh, is now the first-team goalkeeper coach at Bath City, has just tweeted saying, did I mention Emmy Martinez was my number two? and came in to cover me for a short while once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that must have been uh, at Oxford, maybe. Ryan Clark, goalkeeper. Yeah, Oxford United, um, who Arsenal will play in just a few weeks' time. Wow. Um, I've just seen a tweet here with the sprinkly salt meat wanker guy. Oh, yeah. With the World Cup. <laughs> what the wow. fuck world are we living in? Um, um, I've got a question here. Okay. I thought it was interesting. Uh, so, Jimmy Charles Moody uh, on Twitter asks, do you ever feel like Arsenal are being auditioned by Saka? Yes, he loves the club, but I sense he'd want out if expectations weren't met. I mean, I don't get that sense at all. Yeah, me I, neither. I don't... Which is why... Well, it's sort of why I chose the question, yeah. because I, it's just not something I see. But I don't know if that's because I'm being naive. I don't think so. I, I just yeah. think he's a guy who is... You know, he, there's nothing um, duplicitous or scheming about Bakayo Saka. You know the way... You, we can, We've all seen and heard footballers go... You know, talk about their future, talk about a new contract, talk about a transfer, whatever it might be. And they, you know, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. You know, mm. they say a lot, but not very much. And ultimately, they leave the door open for pretty much any eventuality. You know, you never know what will happen in football, the classic. Whereas I've never got that from Bakayo Saka. I don't think, A, I can't really remember him ever being asked publicly about a new contract or his future or anything like that. But the way he talks about the club, the way he talks about his teammates, the way he talks about people at the club, the way he behaves doesn't make me think that this is a guy who is like anything other than really happy at Arsenal. Of course, we have got a big decision to make, not a decision to make, but we've got to convince him to sign a new deal, right? Mm-hmm. And he'll be away with England. He'll be away with his mates at England, who all love him, it seems, um, from all the stuff that's doing the rounds online. Like, everyone loves Bakayo Saka. Yeah. But he'll be talking to Jack Grealish, and he'll be talking to Jaden. No, Jaden Sancho's not there. But, um, you know, the other guys at the other clubs and what money they make and what the terms of their contracts are and all that kind of stuff. So he'll be well aware of his value as a footballer in the Premier League at his age, you know? Um, you wouldn't... I mean, he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. And we know he's got an agent who is also... Uh, you know, gets good deals for his players. Mm -hmm. Right? So, I think if you're Bakayo Saka and you're going to sign a deal to stay at Arsenal, you will be benchmarking your deal not just on what other players at Arsenal are are earning, but what 
you know, players who are doing less at international level are earning. Maybe there's, you know, some mitigation for the various clubs that they're at and everything else. But I don't think it's a case of him being undecided. I think if you went to Bakayo Saka tomorrow and there was a deal on the table that he and his agent were very happy with, I think it'd be signed in a, yeah. in a second. I don't think he's needs convincing um, in that sense. You know what I mean? I agree. I think he loves being at Arsenal and I think he wants to stay at Arsenal. I think that you always have to bear in mind with these young footballers that there's a big engine around them. You know, it's mm. not just it's not just him. I mean, he's probably not very close to the contract negotiations personally. Um, it's probably all being handled by his agent. Um, he was a breakout star at this World Cup. He was brilliant. And that will probably be a factor as well over the next yeah. 12 months. You know, he's going to become a increasingly a significant commercial earner as well, I suspect. For um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's a very marketable young man. And uh, and as well, there's the other aspect too, which is that, you know, it's not just about what he earns. He's supporting probably an entire family. Um, but I, I do feel confident that a resolution will be reached. And in a funny way, I know that it's scary the longer it goes on, but I do think everyone does want the same thing. And maybe that means that there's people are a little bit more relaxed about it sort of internally than they might be, because I think everyone knows he wants to stay and the club want him to stay. It's just a question of the numbers being right. And sure. We know that, um, that Saka's agent is, is well, he's got, he's got a, a yeah, a he's a negotiator. Basically. It's a good way of putting it. I mean, we just had a question as well on this from Tobias Halskov, who's at T Halskov on Twitter. Halskov with a V, not an F. My apologies. He said, do you think the negotiations for new contracts for Martinelli, Saliba and Saka will speed up now the World Cup has ended? It seems logical that the players may have wanted to wait and see if they could give themselves a stronger position with good performances at the World Cup. Possibly, yeah. I mean, certainly I can't imagine um, much has happened with those contracts during the World Cup because, you know, Arsenal have been kind of... Everyone's been in different places. You know, the World Cup players have been in Qatar. Um, Arsenal have been in Dubai. Edu and Mikel have been in America as well. Um, obviously, a lot of this stuff happens remotely and digitally, but I just... I don't think it would have been top of anyone's priority list in the last few weeks. Mm. Um, and there is an extent to which, uh, you know, there is some other pressing business to attend to potentially in the transfer market, which will take a lot of focus, you would imagine, in January. But I hope some serious progress is made soon. As much as I say I'm relaxed about Saka, um, you know, we all want it signed. And I do think... I also think just from a kind of messaging point of view, you know, at a time where Arsenal have lost Gabriel Jesus, there's a bit of a wobble in the fan base, mm -hmm. understandably. We're all a bit, you know, worried about that. It would be a real boost to be able to sign up some of these young guys and really give everyone a lift heading into the second half of the season. So I hope that there can be some development sooner rather than later. Okay. Likewise, I do too. I, do I think too. we can all agree about that, right? For sure. That's the one thing that even on Twitter... <laughs> Nobody could disagree with. We'd like those contracts to be signed soon. Uh, there's bound to be one going, no, we don't. Actually, 
We don't yeah. want the contracts to be signed because uh, fuck. Them. That's what we can all agree on. That and that Alexis McAllister produced an absolutely pivotal minute of football in Arsenal's defeat at Brighton in two. I think it's one that's lived long in everybody's minds, and you've just I mean, sort of resurrected you know, it. You've brought it back to life. We've talked way. about it nonstop since. Um, <laughs> any more for any more? Uh, yeah, I've got one. Seeing as we're heading towards Christmas, and we're probably going to end this show on a Christmassy theme. Relentless 180 on the Discord said, what is your preferred Christmas meal? Can be any time of day, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Wow. Um, you know what I like at Christmas? I mean, I eat really traditional Christmas food. Mm. I, you know, I eat turkey, even though I'm not sure how much I like turkey, you know? Yeah, like I think Christmas dinner is overrated as a yeah. dinner. I think it's kind of overrated. It's more about the, you know, the the communal dining experience and getting everyone together. But, you know, turkey and ham and gravy is, you know, it's fine and everything, but it's not, it's not like the pinnacle of cuisine or anything, is it? No, but my favorite Christmas food is the ham, actually. My my grandma traditionally uh, roasts mm. a number of hams. A number? Then, yeah, and distributes them throughout uh, the family. Lovely. And, yeah, I really love, like, a big roast ham. I do like... Like, a nice glazing. I do like the ham. I do the, the ham every year myself, and um, I do the old sort of boil it in Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it gives it a lovely moistness and sweetness. And then you glaze it, obviously, in, in the oven. But I think my favorite is just sort of like Christmas breakfast. I like that. And it's What's normally Christmas just, breakfast? Normally just a fry-up. Normally just right. sausage and bacon and eggs and toast and brown bread and orange juice and um, white pudding, black pudding, the whole lot. I love a good Christmas breakfast. I don't. We'd never have Christmas lunch. You would have Christmas dinner then, you know? You'd have a big breakfast. So you'd and have then, a late breakfast late and then a dinner. Yeah, thing. exactly. Exactly. Um, nice. You can't be a cut breakfast. I mean, no, you one. can't. So I'm going to do that. But I'm not doing turkey this year because there's only uh, only two of us for Christmas dinner this year because my daughter can't get home for, for Christmas. So uh, what are you going to do? I am going to do like a, I think a piece of prime rib, roast okay, beef. Okay, nice. Just have a like a roast dinner, roast potatoes. Yeah, I think turkey, like I say, I don't think turkey's that delicious. Turkey is a fucking great sandwich meat. Yes, it's that's one true. of the best sandwich meats, but as a sort of dinner meat, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's just like fucking. I don't know. Are you doing a, a ham? Engorged chicken. I don't know how to describe it. I will do a ham, yeah, because okay. why not? Get some ham sandwiches in, ham and mustard. Exactly, got to be done. Got to have a bit of that. Um, okay, I think we're just about done, but we've got something for people. You yes. need to explain what this is. So uh, a man called Johnny, you may remember, uh, who is on Twitter. He's at Fruit All Sorts. He is the, the, the mind behind the uh, Fuck Magpies Forever lyric. Yes. And a couple of weeks ago, um, he sent me some lyrics to a, a Christmas song around the theme of it being basking time because we can bask in being top of the league for sure. Christmas. And um, 
I managed to uh, record them all for you as a kind of Christmassy tune to to play us out. But yes, we've got, you know, at least another eight days of basking. So we should savour it. We've got more than that because our lead That's at the top true. of the we table... We can lose 100-0 to West Ham and we'll still be top, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think that's probably not the ideal. Uh, not the no. ideal one. It would be a flex, though, to it, be like, we, look at us. We, we lost, lost 100-0 and we're, and we're still, still top. top. <laughs> the only team ever to lose 100-0. Yeah. That no, that's not what I want. No. That's not what I want. I want us to beat West Ham heartily. But... Yeah. Oh, and the other thing to say is that we're going to try and do uh, a waffle next week. For the yeah, podcast. we're going to do a little Christmas waffle for our Patreon members. If you don't know what that is, that is the the podcast in which James and I talk about anything and everything except Arsenal based on suggestions and questions from our Patreon members. So if you want to get on board with that, we I think we'll have that for you on Thursday. Is that right? Yeah. Um, we'll do that Thursday um, and we will be back well, it's going to be a while, isn't it? Because the West Ham game... We're probably looking at, I don't know, the 27th, I think. The, yeah, because the game's on the 26th, so we'll record... We already talked about this in some detail, and we worked out our schedule, and now I can't remember what we said. Tuesday 27th, I think Tuesday 27th, that's right. I have it here in my calendar. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be post-Christmas when we talk to you non-Patreon guys again. So... Wherever you are in the world, um, if you celebrate it, have a great time um, with family and friends and, and eat well and drink well and look after each other and uh, just have have a wonderful uh, Christmas. Um, yeah, have a great Christmas, guys. And thanks for buying all those mugs. Um, yes. Amazing. Can't wait for my holiday. Amazing. I will send you um, your outfit choices. I'm choosing your outfits as well, by the oh, way. Oh, great. So, so you know. Okay. It's great, very, great. very high standard, this resort we're going to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Listen, we'll have stuff for you midweek uh, on Patreon. Of course, we will also have a preview podcast because the Premier League is returning. It's back. It's coming back, baby. So World Cup's over and the real football can begin again. For now, take it easy. Merry Christmas. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. It's basking time There's no need to be afraid At basking time We just look down And it stays that way Cause we're top of the table And it brings us so much joy It's just like our dad said I love these boys But say a prayer Pray for the tide and love At basking time It's hard But when you're having fun There's a team just down the road there And it's a team of dread and fear when the only trophies lifted are runner-ups and also knees, and the Christmas bells that ring there are the clanging chimes of doom. Well, tonight remember when we won five-two, we're the only team that's at the top. This Christmas time The 
greatest gift we'll get this year is wine. Fan wine. I like it, I like it, you know. With Stacker and Emil Smith Rowe. Do they know it's basket time at all? Here's to you. Eight points clear of Tottenham scum Here's to them And the tears of young men's arm Do they know It's basking time At all Let them know It's basking time Let them know It's basking time Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 